Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn why the phrase money can't buy happiness isn't always true. Then you'll learn how different generations write differently online with some help from internet linguist and author Gretchen McCulloch. Woot! Let's satisfy some curiosity. We all know the cliche, money can't buy happiness. But clearly, a certain amount of money can mean the difference between happiness and misery. In 2010, researchers decided to find out exactly how much money you would need to buy happiness. And what they found was pretty interesting. For their study, researchers Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deacon differentiated between two types of happiness. First, emotional well-being, defined by day-to-day emotional experience. Second, life evaluation, defined as the self-perception of one's life as a whole. They analyzed 450,000 responses to the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index, which is a daily survey of U.S. residents conducted by the Gallup Organization. The survey asked questions about things like how these people were feeling yesterday and how they see life as a whole. Emotional experiences included questions like, did you laugh a lot yesterday? Life assessment required people to rank themselves on a ladder where zero represented the worst life and 10 represented the best life. They found that when it comes to emotional well-being, money does buy happiness, but only to a point. The more money you make, the more your day-to-day happiness improves until you hit around $75,000 per year. After that, the improvement levels off. But when it comes to life evaluation, no matter their income bracket, people who made more money had a more favorable evaluation of their life as a whole. The study concluded that, quote, high income buys life satisfaction but not happiness, and that low income is associated both with low life evaluation and low emotional well-being, unquote. The researchers suggest that once you have sufficient money to weather life's storms, your day-to-day life is pretty much stable. But it's generally recognized that overall life evaluation is tied to your level of education, which in turn is tied to your income. In that way, the fact that money can buy you a positive assessment of your life makes sense. Maybe it's time we all asked for a raise. Why do our parents write so differently when they're talking online? Today, we're going to get some answers in the second edition of our Hashtag Tuesdays miniseries. Our guest is internet linguist Gretchen McCulloch, author of the new book, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language. And she has some incredible insights into what's behind the internet dialect of baby boomers that you may have seen referred to as boomer speak. But before she gets into that, we asked her, what is the main reason why older people and younger people sound different when they talk online? What I found really interesting is that a lot of discussion about internet differences focuses just on age. When what I think is actually more interesting is the combination of the first social network or first social platform or social experience you had on the internet and what age you were when you had it. Because there's a difference between somebody right now who's say 50 or 60 could have joined the internet in the early Usenet forum chat room days. They could have come online in the late 90s and early 2000s with the big wave of mainstreamization, gotten email, maybe 10 years later got Facebook during the wave of like my mom got Facebook sort of thing. Or they could be only gradually joining the internet in the past couple of years. And this could be the same age, but they have very different internet social experiences. And even for the younger groups, if you joined the internet first on chat platforms like AIM and MSN Messenger and 
ICQ and these kinds of things, you had a different experience of the internet as a place to connect with your existing friends than people who joined a generation earlier and used it as a way to meet new people. And you can tell this in people's things like people's emoticon preferences. Like, do you prefer to use old school text-based emoticons? Do you keep the nose in the smiley? Do you like emoji? You know, do you have some some that you've been using for years and you're like, this is what this means, even though no one else agrees with me? <laughs> That's a sign that you've been online for longer. Whereas the newer arrivals are more likely to, to have adapted to the newer stuff. So it's a really interesting way of looking at how people message each other and what kinds of expectations we have of each other based on where you were first online. And that brings us to Boomer Speak, which I thought was one of the most amazing things I learned from this book. So why do baby boomers write online the way they do? One of the big questions that everyone had for me for this book and that I've been I've been teasing and saying, you know, you can get the answer in the book was why do people use that dot dot dot? What's the dot 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 for? So the dot, dot, dot is between individual messages or individual utterances. So it'd be something like, hi, dot, dot, dot. How's it going? Dot, dot, dot. Just wondered if you had any time to chat. Dot, dot, dot. You know, happy birthday. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Where other generations, younger generations might use line breaks between those things or might send each one as an individual message. And they're both communicating in utterances. So just sort of bursts of words that aren't necessarily a full sentence, but aren't necessarily not which is a very natural way. That's how we talk as well. Uh, so it's a very natural way to communicate informally. But the convention for how you break up your utterances is different across different generations. And I ended up going through a various kinds of rabbit holes to find historical precedents of the dot, dot, dot. And especially where I ended up was with the earlier examples of informal writing, like handwritten letters and postcards. And it turns out that there are these postcards from George Harrison of the Beatles, and when you transcribe them, these handwritten postcards, they look like text messages from a boomer. <laughs> like they look like the text messages. They've got the, the greeting and the farewell at the end. They've got all these dot, dot, dots or dashes like all throughout. And genre wise, they look really similar to a text message from someone in that, in that generation. And what was interesting to me was saying, okay, so maybe what's actually going on here is people in this generation are actually importing conventions that they're familiar with from a different medium and saying, okay, these are what I'm used to for informal writing. I'm going to do it in text as well. Rather than, because it was weird to me that all of these different boomers from all these different generations who mostly don't talk to each other that much online, they mostly are online to talk to their younger family members, were still communicating more like each other than the younger family members they came online to reach. So I feel like the big message for millennials who are getting messages from boomers is that the dot, dot, dot is them trying to be casual, not being passive aggressive. Yes, yes. And if you're in that generation where you use the dot, dot, dot to be casual, you don't even dream that someone could be passive aggressive in a text message. It is so far from what you think text messages are capable of. They don't know how to be passive aggressive in text messages. Nothing that they're saying is passive aggressive. And if you're going to solve generation gaps, like maybe you can convince some boomers to type differently. Some people have said to me now they don't use dot, dot, dot as much. But also maybe we can also say don't overinterpret the dot, dot, dot and really think about does this person think of text as capable of passive aggression before you read into this must be passive aggressive. That's really good advice. <laughs> assume they're being nice. Just like maybe assume if people really want to cuss you out, they have plenty of overt options to do so. Give baby boomers some credit. They're just trying to write the way they sound, and they're not trying to cause you undue anxiety. Again, that was Gretchen McCulloch, author of the new book, Because Internet, 
Understanding the New Rules of Language. You can find links to the book and more from Gretchen in today's show notes. And next week, she'll be back to talk about some really interesting international differences in internet dialects. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today, we learned that money can buy happiness until you make about $75,000 a year. Then, not so much. And that it's not just your age that determines how you talk online, but how old you were when you started using the internet. And the baby boomers are just trying to write conversationally online, not be passive-aggressive. Don't take it so personally. Oh, it's so hard sometimes, though. It's so hard. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.